Did you know that on an average day in America, 13,500 people get married? On an average day in America, according to one statistic. Every day in America, 175 Americans aged 65 and older get married. Eight of them for the very first time. Every day in America. Did you know that the most married person in history was probably King Mongut, I think that's how you say it, of Siam. Uh, you probably know him because there was a musical Rogers and Hammerstein, I believe, made about him called The King and I. And uh, he was supposedly married 9,000 times. I wonder what you get him for wedding gifts. Uh, <laughs> China? I don't know. Um, New Hampshire has the youngest legal marriage age. A young lady can get married in New Hampshire at age 13. And a young man at 14 in New Hampshire. Uh, my aunt, this was in the probably early 1900s, was married at the age of 13, I believe. Um, so very interesting. Fewer Americans are married in January than any other time of the year. So if you're in the wedding business, this isn't the best time. And I found an interesting story about an Australi Austrian anthropologist. His name was Wiesel, and he lived uh, for a while among the natives of northern Siberia, and he kept noticing that when he would leave his place, he kept getting pelted with lice. And apparently, the custom in that area, if you were a young lady who was wanting to get married, you pelted the young men with lice to let them know you were available. So he used to get pelted with lice. A lot of times. And I don't know if after you got married, then you spent a week washing your hair and what, whatever they did. But interesting marriage customs. Now, you know, marriage has become very controversial in our country. For example, why do we want to get married? Today, a lot of people just live together uh, in America. According to the National Public Radio, more than 65% of marriages today start out living together. Uh, before the individuals get married. Uh, 50 years ago, only about 10% of people actually lived together before they got married. Now today it's around 65. According to the Pew Research Institute, young adults who were born after 1980 are more likely to cohabit than any other previous generation. And in fact, they estimate that currently 8 million couples are cohabiting right now. So one of the culture questions today is why even get married? You know, people today... Uh, just live together. And there's another cultural shift that we're seeing in our culture, and that is this. Who can get married? In other words, is marriage only between a man and a woman? Or is it okay if two men get married to each other or two women get married to each other? In our culture, they say today, yes. In fact, if we can let two men get married and two women get married, why not a man and two women? After all, if you're Islamic, you can have multiple wives. Some Mormon sects allow you to have multiple wives. Popular TV shows on the TLC network used to be Sister Wives, if you've ever seen that, about a man with multiple wives. In fact, it's very interesting that shortly after in America we legalized same-sex marriage, the political magazine, Politico, it's a magazine, had an article right after that, and here's how it started. Welcome to the exciting new world of the slippery slope. And the article went on to say, now that we've defined love and devotion and now that we've defined that love, devotion, and family isn't driven by gender alone, why should it just be limited to two individuals? The most natural advance for marriage lies in legalized polygamy. 
one of the reasons you're probably not hearing about that is because I understand the LGBTQAI community is against it. And so that's why you're not hearing polygamy, but it just makes sense that the natural step is evolution. Uh, just a man and a couple wives, or as my wife always points out, why isn't it a woman with multiple husbands? Why is it always a woman that's got to have the, you know, the, the man with the two wives? Why can't women have multiple husbands? I think because women are smarter uh, than that, but <laughs> probably. <laughs> you know, here's another question. Why can't you just get married to a plant or a tree? Believe it or not, ABC News, March 2018, headline, Woman Marries 100-Year-Old Tree in Hopes of Saving It from Being Cut Down. The article went on to say Karen Cooper, age 60, wed the tree during a, ceremony, a community event on March 24th at Snell Family Park as part of a neighborhood effort to save the tree from being cut down. So she got married to it. Married to a tree. Now, you know, 20 years ago, if I had preached uh, a message on marriage which I have, I would have probably titled it, Why Marriage? Would have been how we started. But as I went back yesterday and revisited what I was going to talk about today, I realized I need to put some qualifiers on this message. So here is the title that I have to feel like I have to say today. Why Bible-believing Christians believe only in, in only heterosexual marriage. In today's age... Seems like we had to put a lot of qualifiers. Qualifier number one, Bible-believing Christians. Let me just say why I put that qualifier in there. Because there's a lot of people today that say, I'm a Christian, but they don't believe what the Bible teaches when it comes to morality. There's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but they don't believe what the Bible teaches when it comes to morality. And, 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 they, and they look at these passages and they say, well, it pertained to the culture of the day and not the culture of uh, the day. The culture of the day, the Bible is written, but not the culture of the day. Well, it is true. We don't live in the Old Testament times. We don't live under the ceremonial laws and the civil laws that were given in the Old Testament. Those were given to the nation of Israel. But the moral laws that are given in the Old Testament still apply. And we know that because they're repeated in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, don't murder. In the New Testament, we're told again, don't murder. In the Old Testament, don't steal. In the New Testament, we're told again, don't steal. Don't lie, don't lie. Don't commit adultery, don't... Again, so we see those moral laws repeated again. So we don't live under the ceremonial laws. People like to cite those, you know, why don't you build paraphats around your house, blah, blah, blah. We don't live under those anymore. That's been fulfilled in Christ. But the moral laws... In the Old Testament still apply today. In fact, let me give you a biblical principle. When an Old Testament teaching is repeated again in the New Testament, then it still applies. Even though we're under the New Covenant. When a teaching in the Old Covenant is repeated again in the New Covenant, it still applies. And in fact, in the New Testament, the standards raised even higher. For example, Jesus said, you have heard... That is said, do not commit adultery, Old Testament law. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery. Jesus even put the bar higher in the New Testament. So when it comes to the, some things that are repeated in the Old and New Testament, one of those things is marriage. And the foundation of marriage is laid in the Old Testament. That's why we're doing this series in the beginning. So if you're watching by Facebook and you're wondering, what do those Christians believe? Well, I'm telling you, that is the point of the series. We're looking at the beginning, and a lot of things of what we believe are right here in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And so what we believe as Bible-believing Christians is this, and I'll sum it up in one point. 
Biblical marriage is heterosexual marriage. All right, that's what we believe. Now you say, why do you believe that? Well, I'll give you a couple reasons. I'm going to give you five reasons. Number one, God created a male and a female. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we've been going in the book of Genesis. So we're just going to start right here at the beginning. And so if you're wondering, why do Christians believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman? Well, here you go. I'm going to tell you why, and uh, then you can take it from there. So Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, here's what it says. So this is the creation account. Now let me explain a couple things to you. Genesis chapter 1 is the creation account from a 30,000-foot level. Okay, it's like you're flying over and you're seeing the big panorama. All right, so, so we're kind of looking at the 30,000-foot level of the creation story. Look at verse, uh, verse number 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They, notice man is then they, so we're talking male and female, they will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man, and that's male and female, that, that word is there referring to both, in his own image, he created him in the image of God, he created them, male and female. All right, and then look at verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. So, according to the very first book in the Bible, in the beginning, God created a man and a woman. Why did he do that? Why didn't God just create two men? Why didn't God just create two women? Well, verse 28 tells us why. God blessed him and said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. If God had created two men, that couldn't have happened. It would have been impossible. If God had created two uh, women, they couldn't have conceived. It would have been impossible. The reason that God tells this man and woman, Adam and Eve, to be multiplied, to multiply and fill the earth is because it was possible. That's why he commanded. If you don't believe me, if you look over in Genesis 7, verse 2, I don't have it on the screen, but you can look there if you want, but I'll just tell you the story. You know that many, many years later, because the iniquity grows so great on the earth, and we'll talk about sin and why does God allow sin and all those things in the next few weeks, when it grows, iniquity grows great on the earth, God says, okay, I'm wiping out humanity. We're, this, this is just not good. We're, we're going to start over here. And, of course, you know the story about Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God tells Noah to build an ark. And things like that. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 2, here's what Noah was told. I don't have it on the screen, but here's what, Genesis, uh, here's what God told Noah. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female. Now, if God was getting ready to wipe out the earth, which he did, why did he tell Noah, just take seven males and seven clean males? Two clean males. Why didn't he just say, hey, take, you know, all females? Why do you say a male and female? Because there's no way you're going to repopulate the earth. All right? <laughs> you need male and female. You know, it's funny to me that Christians are often called be anti-science. You just don't believe in science. Well, sure I do. If you use a scientific method, I believe science. I don't, I'm not afraid of science. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid. You use a scientific method. Fine, I'm cool with that. But you know what's funny to me? 
The very often, the very times of people that accuse believers as being anti-science, when I read what they write, I feel like that's anti-science. For example, headline. The first British man to give birth has opened up on the struggles he experienced being pregnant. Uh, that's anti-science. I don't think men can get pregnant. Scientifically, it should have said, a woman who wants to believe she's a man has gotten pregnant. It's not scientifically possible for a man to have a baby. All right, that's just basic biology. All right, so God creates a man and a woman. Genesis chapter 1, God created male and female. Now, go to Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis 1 is this big overview of creation. Genesis 2, we dive right down and skim along the water, and we look at it in more in depth. And so we know in Genesis chapter 2 that God creates man first, and, and man, of course, being Adam and, uh, and look at verse 15, uh, 15 it said, well, look for verse 18. It said, then that, so God creates man first, that's Adam. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. Now, we'll just stop right there. Adam didn't live a boring life, okay? Now, this is before sin. This is before all the bad stuff enters into the world. Adam didn't live a boring life. He, when God created him, Adam's job was to work the garden, all right? So Adam was a man of agriculture. He was working the garden of Eden. Now, how long he did it? I don't know. Could have been a year. Could have been a thousand years. I don't know. But Adam was there working the garden of Eden. And, and you know what? I'm sure he enjoyed that. But here's one thing I know. No matter how much you enjoy working, working will never fulfill you completely. Work will never fill you. Now, I, I have to say this. I am a, I hopefully, somewhat of a recovering workaholic. But work will never completely satisfy you. Many, many years ago, I, I really got into music. And uh, some of you all know the story. And I got hooked on the thing over here at Paramount Music. And I wanted to get involved there. And so I just started practicing insane hours, five hours a night stuff. Because I, I wanted to, to do that. And... Uh, I, and so a lot of times after school, I would catch a bus, ride downtown. We had still there the, the Tivoli Theater. We had a Wurlitzer pipe organ. It wasn't in the greatest of shape, but it was something. And so I would sit in that old musty theater playing that pipe organ late into the night. And so I didn't really do a whole lot with school. I didn't date a whole lot. I was just focused on learning how to play that old pipe organ. And I'll never forget, I think my mom really kind of got nervous, you know, because she's like, you know, you, you really ought to do something, maybe, uh, other than just play that old organ at night. And I remember one time she said, you know, son, I know you like the organ, but it can't put its arms around you at night. <laughs> I'll never forget that, you know, because, and, and she was right, I mean, you know. I mean, I enjoyed it, but <clears throat> you're right. I mean, work will never completely satisfy you. I enjoyed playing that old instrument, but it's still not the same as having a compliment. So, so, here's, so Adam's been working in the garden, and I'm sure, you know, who knows how long he did it, but I'm sure Adam was like, you know, God, I love doing this and watching the flowers grow, and this is great, but man, I just, wow, I'm just kind of missing it. So God says, okay, well, I'll give you another job. So, so look at verses 19 through 20. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. 
The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild creature animal, but for the man no helper was found as his compliment. All right? Now, I would imagine this would have taken a while, right? Imagine it would have taken a while to name all the animals. So here's Adam. He's in a zoo, practically, okay? And he's like, I'll call that one a hippo. That thing's got a long neck. I'll call that one a giraffe. That one's got a big trunk. I'll call that one an elephant. That one barks. I'll call that a dog. That one meows. I'll call that one Satan. Uh, it's teasing if you like cats. All right. But, you know, he, here he was naming all these animals and things like that. And, you know, he gets to the end and he's like, you know, God, I mean, I love my dog. You know, I got Fido here, and really great dog, and, you know, it's fun to ride the camel around and things, but I just don't really feel like I'm totally satisfied. So God says, okay, and whether or not you knew it, God's an anesthesiologist, and God said, okay, we're going to perform a surgery. So look at what happens here. Uh, verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh up at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Now that goes back, that's the, the ground's eye view. We go back to Genesis 1, there we go. Made them male and female. So again, God didn't create another guy, okay? God didn't say, hey Adam, what you need is another dude and you guys can hang out on Sunday and watch football. No, he said, no, I'm going to create a woman, for you. I'm going to create a female. And notice uh, some Bibles call, uh, say a helper suitable for, to him. It, the word literally in the, in the Hebrew means a person corresponding to him. Literally a compliment. That's how the CSV says it. A Adam's compliment was taken from him. So in other words, the woman is not inferior to a man. Okay, A woman is not inferior to a man. She is a compliment to the man. A woman is just as valuable as a man is in God's sight. A woman is created in the image of God just like a man is created in the image of God. A woman is no less of a person than a man is. Okay, And, and in fact, Eve is a special creation. I mean, she's, she's a special, awesome creation by God. She corresponds. She's from Adam. She corresponds to him. Again, Adam was made out of the dust of the earth. Eve is made out of Adam's side. She directly corresponds. And they are to be companions together. They are to, to work together. They're to complement each other. And again, God didn't create for Adam another guy because that wouldn't complement Adam. He needed a woman to compliment him. Now, like I told you, there's a biblical principle. When something in the Old Testament is mentioned again in the New Testament, then it still applies. Well, if you go to the New Testament in, in the book of Matthew, that's the first gospel of the New Testament, I'll throw it up here. Here's what Jesus said, because he was asked about marriage, and here's what Jesus said. Haven't you read, he's speaking to the Old Testament, that he who created them in the beginning made them what? Male and female. Now, Jesus, by the way, believed the Genesis story. All right, he believed this. He didn't say, well, there's a myth out there. No, he said, no, this is what it says in the, in the scriptures. God made them male and female. So again, I believe that heterosexual marriage is biblical marriage. Why? Because God created them male and female. But here's another reason. Biblical marriage is heterosexual marriage because God united the male and female. 
Not only did he make male and female, but God united the male and female. For example, I'm sure you've been to a wedding. I've done my share of them. And, you know, the bride comes down the aisle, and, and usually, uh, you know, at least the ultimate is the father walks her down the aisle. And so I ask as a minister, who gives this woman to this man? What, is, what happens? The father says, usually, her mother and I, right? The father gives away the bride. Well, it's interesting, when you look at this passage, when God creates Eve, if you look at the passage here in Genesis 2, it says he brought her to the man. It was like God, wa- I mean, Cool. Like God walked her down the aisle and said, Adam, I give her to you. And look at what Adam says, verse 23, Genesis chapter 2. So Adam takes the veil, you know, and looks at her. And Adam says, and the man said, this one at last. Man, I'm so happy. She's a whole lot better looking than those hippos and giraffes. This one at last is bone of my bone, my bone, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This will be called, whoa, man, woman, for she was taken from man. Like the old preacher said, when Adam first saw her, he said, whoa, man, whoo. It's like, man, woman, yes, she compliments me. He, she's the one, she's made in the image of God just like I am. She's not an animal, okay? She's a human being. She, she's from me, she's interlinked with me, she's bonded to me. And so God gave away Eve to Adam and said, here she is, here she is, your companion. And the writer of Hebrews then writes this conclusion in verse 24. Here's what he says, and you hear this in marriages a lot, weddings a lot. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So the question is, why does a man leave his father and mother and be bound to his wife? Because God created it this way. God created male and female. That's why he leaves his father and mother and is bound to his wife. Because nothing completes the man other than a woman, because only a male and female have the unique ability to become one flesh. Only male and female have the ability to become one flesh. Why is that, Jim? Because they came from one flesh. Eve came from Adam. And so a male and female coming together, that's the only union in which they can once again become one flesh because they came from one flesh. Does that make sense? And so that's what the writer is saying here. And so again, let's go back, biblical principle. When something's mentioned in the Old Testament and then told again in the New Testament, it still applies to us. So look what Jesus said here. Because again, he believed this. Haven't you read, he said, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 1. Now look at the next part. And he also said, for this reason, now he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, I'm just going to tell you. If Jesus believed the book of Genesis, I'm going to go with Jesus. Okay? He believed. Again, it's very interesting to me. You have people say, oh, I'm a Christian. But I don't, I don't know if I really believe that Genesis books. Probably myths and things like that. Well, look, look. Christian literally means follower of Christ. So if you're not going to believe the person you say you're following, even though he believes it, 
then I'm not so sure you're following that person. Because Jesus says, I believe it. So if, if, if the one I'm following believes it, I'm believing it too. And Jesus said, look, I'm just telling you guys, this is what's written. And yes, I believe it. And by the way, he was there. I believe it. This is what happened. And so again, Jesus, by repeating this account, is saying this is still how it works. This is what marriage is. God unite them. So again, biblical marriage is heterosexual marriage. Let me give you another reason. God not only united them, God not only created male and female, God not only united the male and female, God instituted marriage. Because here, if you go back to what Jesus said in that verse we just looked at, he said at the end, Therefore, God, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Let me tell you something. Marriage was not created by humans. We didn't create this. Now, people today want to believe that somehow marriage was just the result of evolution. Over time, we had to feel, feel a way that we're going to deal with all sorts of things and responsibilities of children and provisions. And so humanity just kind of came up with this. Con no, no, no. Marriage wasn't developed by us. It was instituted by God. All right? Listen, if marriage was created by humanity, then we would have every right to abolish it. All right? For example, slavery is a human institution. We had every right to abolish slavery. Slavery's wrong. All right? And that's why you'll see when you read in England and America, a lot of the leading force people, people who are leading against the abolition of slavery, were Christians who were saying, This is wrong. We're all created in the image of God. This is wrong. We had every right to abolish slavery. But heterosexual marriage was not instituted by humanity, it was instituted by God. And we have no right to try and abolish marriage because that is how God set it up. Again, in the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, you will see that there were people who practiced polygamy, had multiple wives. But let me tell you something. Polygamy was not instituted by God. Notice he, again, when he created Eve, God didn't say, hey, Adam, here's your wives. Because after all, after he created Eve, Adam did have some spare ribs, right? So he could have taken some of those extra ribs. Said, Ab, Adam, you got three of them. Here's three wives. No, Adam, God said, no, you get one. All right? One wife. Polygamy is not a God institution. It's a human institution. It's humanity being selfish. We have every right to stand against polygamy. I think it's a funny story I read, and Mark Twain was not a Christian, but he was once lecturing in, Mor in, in Utah, and of course, uh, when the Mormon church started, it was polygamous. And uh, they tried to sweep that under the rug, but it was polygamous. And um, there was a, a friend of Mark Twain's acquaintance who was a Mormon, and so he got in this heated debate with Mark Twain over polygamy, and the Mormon again was arguing for polygamy. And so the Mormon asked Mark Twain, he says, Can you find a single passage of Scripture that forbids polygamy? And Mark Twain said, Sure. No man can serve two masters. So there you go. But I'm bumped. All right. Marriage was between, is instituted by God to be between one man and one woman. It was instituted in the Old Testament. It was repeated and verified by Jesus in the New Testament. And marriage between a man and woman is the only union used in Scripture to picture Christ and his church in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, 
The only union in the whole scripture that's looked positively in the Old Testament and New Testament is the union between a man and a woman. That's the only union that is positively viewed in scripture. Again, we didn't create marriage. Government did not create marriage. All right? We didn't create it. God created it. And Bible-believing Christians will always follow the teachings of their leader, which is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus says, yep, that is true, and I believe it, then we'll do the same. Because marriage, biblical marriage, is heterosexual marriage. Now, I'm going to, next part, I think we're good in here, is PG-13. A little bit PG-13, all right? So, if you have any kids, if you're watching on TV, whatever, Facebook, here it is. Why? Heterosexual marriage, number four, because God commands sex only in heterosexual marriage. Now, I know some people are like, oh, I can't believe he said sex in church. Well, let me tell you something. They're saying sex on TV all the time, so we might as well talk about it too, and let's set it right, okay? So I'm just going to tell it like it is, and uh, so if you don't like me using the word, then you can write me a letter later. I'll throw it away. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. I just want to go back there. Here it says, God blessed them. This is the overview. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that walks in the earth. God is commanding them to have sex. <laughs> He's just saying, have babies. Multiply. Fill the earth. Now, let me tell you something. <clears throat> Any sex outside of a committed covenant marriage relationship is condemned by God. The only time God commands sex is in a marriage relationship. Any sex outside of a marriage is condemned in Scripture. That's adultery. All right? And you say, you know, premarital sex, homosexuality, bestiality, all those things. That's all condemned in Scripture. The only time sex is not condemned is when it's between two people who are married. You say, why is that, Jim? And here's the thing that we need to understand. Sex is sacred. That word sacred means set apart. God created sex to be something that was set apart only in the union between a man and woman who were in a committed covenant relationship. That's the only time God says, have fun. You say, why is that, Jim? Well, when there's adultery that happens, you have a third party now breaking that bond of sacredness. You also open yourself up to diseases and things like that. If you're, you know, all those things, it's just not good. It destroys relationships. All right? Now, there may be some people watching, maybe some folks here that have felt the pain of that. Okay. God forgives. Okay? There's no unpardonable sin here. All right? But you may have known that or seen that. We've all probably seen or have family members or maybe personally experienced that pain. It's very painful. Sex before marriage destroys the sacredness of sex. It is to be between two married people. When two unmarried people do it, first of all, it destroys that sacredness because it's to be set apart for that union. It also creates a bond between two people who have not yet made a covenant relationship with each other. It also may result in pregnancy, which then those two people may feel like they have to get married, and then that could result in further turmoil down the road. Or they don't get married, and now you've got a child that's going to have 
situations between a mom and two dads, all sorts of stuff that can be tough. Now again, there may be folks watching here, I'm sure there are. You've had premarital sex. God will forgive you of that, okay? Your life's not ruined, it's not over, it's not the end of the world. You repent. We all have, we all have sin, okay? I'm a sinner. Everybody see that? I'm a sinner too. All right, so I'm not sitting here to tell you you're any worse because we're all sinners. But again, God condemns sex before marriage. Homosexuality. All in the Old Testament is condemned and the New Testament is condemned. Why? Because it destroys the sacredness of sex. Sex is sacred, and it's supposed to be reserved only for a man and a woman in a covenant relationship because only a man and woman can truly complement each other. And once again, there's all sorts of other ramifications of that. And we can go on. Rape, bestiality, any sexual expression outside of the bonds of marriage destroys the sacredness of that. And again, maybe this will stick in your mind. The reason that the scriptures are against any sex outside of marriage is because sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. You know, there was a famous basketball player named Wilt Chamberlain. And uh, he's deceased now. But um, in one of his memoirs, he talked about the fact that he had slept with 20,000 women. And of course, people were like, oh my gosh. And he was never married. Slept with 20,000 women. But he went on to write that he would have exchanged all 20,000 women for just one woman who truly would have been at his side. Even with, you know, people like, oh man, that would be awesome. And he said, no, actually, it would have been nice just to have had one woman who would have been with me for keeps. Again, it's a bond. Let me give you another thing. So biblical marriage is heterosexual marriage. One last one. God created heterosexual marriage to be the foundation for society. He created it to be the foundation for society. Marriage, man, male and female marriage, is the foundation for any society. In, in Scripture, there are two big units. There is government, which sits on the fabric of marriage society, a society of marriage. When that fabric starts to rip apart, things start falling apart. Da uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Moynihan, some of y'all may remember the name, 1965, said this, There is one unmistakable lesson in American history. A community that allows a large number of young men to grow up in broken homes and dominated by women, never acquiring any stable relationship to male authority, never acquiring any set of rational expectations about the future, that community asks for and gets chaos. Crime, violence, unrest, disorder, most particularly the furious, unrestrained lashing out at the whole societal structure, that is not only to be expected, it is very near inevitable. As you see our marriage institution cr crumble in America, you're seeing these things. You're seeing violence and unrest and all these things. So many young men are growing up in homes without fathers. And they're lashing out. And again, you may be a single mother here. And let, let me tell you, God loves you. And I'm not, I'm not, I know you're doing the best you can. I mean, I get it. You're doing the best you can. It's hard. All right? And men are jerks sometimes. Men are real jerks. Okay? I'm just telling you that's not God's ideal. And if you've experienced it, you know that. You know that. And again, God still loves you. God can still use you. We, we, we love you. We're all sinners, okay? Please understand that. I'm not putting anybody down here. I'm just stating a fact.
Just stating a fact. In fact, there was a study done um, in 1947 called Family and Civilization. Uh, it was by Carl Zimmerman, and he made these eight observations, he said, of societies that have disintegrated, cultures that have collapsed on themselves. He said, there are eight characteristics you see when you're looking at the Romans, when you're looking at the Greeks, when you're looking at whatever. He said this, here's the eight things of cultures that have collapsed in history. Number one, marriage loses its sacredness. It's frequently broken by divorce. Number two, the traditional meaning of marriage, of the marriage ceremony is lost. Number three, feminist movements abound. Number four, there's an increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Next, there's an acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Next, there's a refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. Next, there's a growing desire for and an acceptance of adultery. Next, there's an increased interest in and the spread of sexual perversions. He said, when you start seeing those things all coalesce, you're going to see a culture that collapses because it's seen over and over in history. Let me just say this. The reason Bible-believing Christians believe that heterosexual marriage is biblical marriage is because God instituted, God created it, God united male and female. Our leader, Jesus Christ, said, yep, that's what it is. And what God has joined together, nobody should separate. This is God's view of marriage. Now, here's my question for you. Do you hold a biblical view of marriage? We live in a culture today that says, nope. Anybody that just loves anybody can get married. Two men, two women. You know, a woman in a tree. Man, two women. Whatever. Listen, if you don't hold a biblical view of marriage, your argument's not with me, it's with God. Because he's the one that created it. He's the creator. Your argument's not with me, it's with the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. Your argument's with your Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. Again, if you're saying, no, I don't agree with that, I think anybody just loves anybody, it, it doesn't matter, whatever, then you're saying that you agree with politicians who constantly change their minds with government that constantly changes its laws, with culture that constantly changes on a whim. You're, you're saying that you believe government and politicians and culture knows more than God. Okay. Look at the havoc that we're seeing in our culture today. Seriously? Does our culture know more than God? Look at the havoc we're seeing in our culture today. Do you hold a biblical view of marriage? I know that right now this may not be popular. All right. I know right now, some of you, I know same, some same-sex married couples. I know some personally. I don't agree with them because it's not what the Bible says. I know this isn't popular today, but my role is not to be popular. It's to tell you the truth. And the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. Sex is to be enjoyed only within marriage. Anything outside of that is no. My question to you, as you wrestle with this, and if you're watching on Facebook, the reason I'm doing this series is this is why we believe what we believe. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, I know that this is a, a heavy sermon, but it needs to be preached. 
because you're the one that instituted marriage. You're the one that created us male and female. And Father, I know that all of us can attest that when we step outside of your bounds, it always is hurtful. And Father, I want to pray for those in our congregation today and those who are watching by Facebook because I know there's been folks that have been through divorce and have felt the sting of these things. And Father, I pray for them just to know that your grace abounds. You love us all. We've all fallen short of you. We've all sinned. There's not a one of us in this room that's perfect by any means. And Father, all of us have battle scars in various forms. And Father, there may be some right now that are going through the pain of a divorce. There may be some right now that are going through the pain of, a, of an unwanted pregnancy. There may be some who are going through some very difficult times. And I just pray that they'll feel your grace and your love. And Father, I pray that where we need to repent, we'll repent. That we'll admit our sin, we'll admit our actions if we've committed those. And we'll repent and turn from them. And Father, I pray for those who may be experiencing some of the stings of these things, that they'll just know that you still love them. Forgiveness is available to all. And Father, they can be used by you for a tremendously powerful ministry. Father, I pray for us at Warren Baptist that in love we will stand on the truth. And Father, we will not back down from what your word teaches. If we're truly followers of Jesus, we have to go with Jesus. And this is what he says. Father, I pray that as believers we will be strong in our faith, knowing what we believe and why we believe it. For those who may be watching on Facebook who are struggling with these things, I pray that they will listen to your word and it will bear fruit in their heart. And so, Father, we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.